With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. the underdog podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome back to the Conference USA edition of the Underdog Podcast. Ready to talk some football here with you with uh, my good buddy Eric Henry. How are you today, man? I'm doing all right, Joe. How about yourself, man? I cannot complain too much. It's definitely winter time here in Portland, Oregon. I feel like we skipped between summer and winter. Didn't really get too much of a fall because I'm in like a full on snowsuit, basically trying to keep warm. But uh, yeah, you know, I I guess it could be worse. Like I, it's, it's not snowing yet at least, but that's definitely my least favorite part of winter, but I feel like it's. What is the, what is the temperature up there? man? I I, I do have to ask, I mean, and this isn't even the obligatory, you know, what is winter joke must down in Florida. I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean, in when it's like the worst part of winter, it, it gets below freezing for sure. We don't always get the snow, but uh it definitely gets to like the real, real low uh temperatures for sure. Today it's not as bad as that. It's probably in the low fifties, high forties today. But yeah, when uh when it gets bad, it's it's gotta be thankful for central heat for sure. <laughs> yeah. For all of our listeners who are listening in, in areas who do have seasons, I, I genuinely feel bad for you since uh, I am two years removed from living in Chicago and I am long forgotten the concept of winter. So uh, my, uh, my thoughts are with all you guys. Oh man. You want to talk some football, Eric? Let's do it. <laughs> all right. Uh, <laughs> Pretty, pretty predictable week last week in Conference USA. We'll start with Iowa and Middle Tennessee State. Uh, Hawkeyes win that one 48-3. Uh, Blue Raiders really couldn't get much going offensively. 3 of 12 on third down. No turnovers, though, so I feel like that should be a, a point of positivity heading into conference play for them. Um, but in this game, it was just a matter of Iowa's offense keeping the ball and making the absolute most of it. Just dominated time of possession. Um and just, you know, really didn't let anything sputter. Uh, put a lot of points on the board, obviously, and just that defense just really didn't let Asher O'Hara get going at all. And he's been pretty solid for this first part of the year. Yeah, so I really think I'd be splitting hairs if I were to truly kind of dissect what this game was for Middle Tennessee State because we all kind of knew heading into the season that this was going to be the rough stretch, right? And it's been the same thing with them last year. You know, they started out rough when they played against Vandy and against Georgia. So let's just put this game aside. I just got one quick question for you, Joe. Last year, I made the mistake of writing off this Middle Tennessee State team because they started off rough, and I don't necessarily think we, heading into the year, kind of expected them to really be a true contender in the East. Obviously, they proved me wrong. My question for you is this. Now that they've, you know, rode out or ridden out, rode out, whichever the phrase is here, clearly I'm not a uh, 
uh, English major. Not that they're through the, the toughest part of their schedule, right? Um, do you think that this is a team that they get into conference play can still do the same thing they did last year, which is kind of pop up and hang around until the end, and suddenly they're a team that has uh, seven wins and, and maybe can contend in the East? Because as we see throughout the season, CUSA is kind of wide open. Yeah, you know, I'm going to tentatively say that, uh, yeah, I think this is definitely a team we can't completely write off yet. And uh, this weekend actually is going to be a really good test of where they are in that whole process. But we've seen a lot of good flashes for them in uh, in these first couple of weeks. Just had an absolutely brutal out-of-conference schedule with Iowa, uh, Michigan, um, Tennessee State, who is not a terrible team. And then uh, I can't remember the other – it was another P5 opponent that it, it's escaping me at the moment. But, Duke. yeah. Sorry? Duke. Duke. Duke, yeah, exactly. Um, so I think it's going to be a really interesting uh, test for them this week in that I think we're going to get a more concrete answer to uh, our question of what are they going to look like at the end of the season based on how they perform against this Marshall team who – uh, frankly, have some questions themselves, but we'll get into that later, I guess. Um, for now, uh, let's talk about FAU and Charlotte. This was a game that I think both of us were really looking forward to um, last week. Owls win this one 45 to 27. Three turnovers for the Charlotte 49ers uh, really didn't help their cause in this one. Um, but also, just a complete game for FIU, really. Almost 600 total yards from the offense. Kept Ben LeMay in check with only 46 yards on the ground. And then uh, on the other side of the ball, Chris Robison, 312 pass yards with two touchdowns. And uh, running back Malcolm Davidson, only 83 yards on the ground, but contributed two touchdowns as well. So really interesting spot for FAU to be in right now. We mentioned how when they get those offensive tools um, revved up, so to speak, that uh, they're hard to stop, and they kind of showed it against the Charlotte team. Yeah, Joe, this one I actually watched every single snap of, so I had a chance to watch them from start to finish. And before I get into FAU, don't want to come down too hard on Charlotte because obviously, you know, it's a program that is trying to not necessarily rebuild but retool. I think they have good pieces with Alex Highsmith and Benny LeMay. Chris Reynolds is just a gutsy player. Uh, he's a guy that's not going to wow you with his, with his, you know, measurables, but he finds a way to roll around the, in the pocket and make plays. But what really set Charlotte behind were the first few drives. They – uh, starting set, Galen Fisher was out. He was a late scratch with an injury, I believe it was a concussion. And as a result, they were starting a backup center, and he had a couple of errant snaps in the shotgun that really kind of set Charlotte back uh, as far as their drives, put them in, you know, second and long. The, I think it was the first three or four drives. He had errant snaps on each of those to the point where they pulled him and put in a backup tackle uh, to replace him at center. And that's really what kind of kept Benny LeMay in check, right? You know, because you can't get him started early if you're, you know, line up in second and 18 and second and 20. So that really kind of hurt them. Uh, and FAU was able to take advantage. I know they jumped out to a 14-0 lead pretty quickly. Now to get to the Owls, uh, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there as far as Malcolm Davidson, the freshman tandem, uh, redshirt freshman Malcolm Davidson and true freshman Larry McCammon account for three touchdowns. And I think the big thing, man, is just Chris Robs just really keeps turning the corner, playing well. Uh, the only interception for those of you who didn't see, it was a, kind of a, a batted tip pass that went off of a Charlotte guy, off of his receiver intended target's hands, and then ended up uh, in the hands of uh, Jeff Gemmel. So it wasn't necessarily a bad pick on his part. But, you know, if Robinson, I think this team will go as far as Chris Robinson takes them. Uh, Rashad Smith is another excellent player on defense. So I think it's going to come down to the quarterback. 
and the lane train, man, like I wrote in my uh, three things about Conference USA. It's just quietly moving along, so we'll see where they end up at the end of the year. To stay on one point that you mentioned there with the offensive line issues, I feel like the casual football fan really doesn't have a proper appreciation for how important uh, not just having a good center is, but having an experienced center is because they're the ones that have to know basically everything that's happening with every position on that offense. They have to be prepared for every single scenario. And really the only way you're going to be able to have those instincts is by playing a lot. So Every time I watch a football game and I see that the center is either, you know, like a freshman or, you know, an older guy who hasn't seen meaningful snaps, that immediately is like a red flag to me. And looks like, you know, Charlotte were the ones that kind of felt the uh, the burden of that situation this weekend. No, most definitely. I mean, it's a great point you make. One of the points that Max Starks actually made was calling the game for NFL Network made a, a point to, uh, to outline is that FAU, by virtue of their defense, was lining up a nose guard and kind of that, you know, zero technique, which is directly uh, on top of the center. And, I, I, you know, I don't know if how much of an issue that played, but you could tell that it was just um, – I, I guess I should try to break that down for those of you listening. If you're lined up directly on top of the center, you know, you have to snap the ball and then account for that guy immediately, right? So um, it, it definitely hurt Charlotte because, you know, the first three or four drives put them in second and long, and they each were because of errant snaps especially with a quarterback and Chris Reynolds 5'9". So he was just snapping it over his head each time, and, and that uh, that really set the offense back. Yeah, you got to have uh, nerves of steel and lightning-fast reflexes to play center at an elite level, unfortunately. So, uh, you know, that experience only comes with uh, – or that skill only comes with experience, rather. So uh, hopefully that, uh, that 49er center will get that as they continue to play more. Um, we'll move on then to uh, kind of a disappointing result for Marshall, even though I think most of us picked the Cincinnati Bearcats to win this game. Uh, Cincy 52, Marshall 14. Uh, Bearcat quarterback Desmond Ritter threw four touchdowns on the day. Just looks like a, a, a world beater against that Marshall D. And uh, Marshall's offense really couldn't move the ball, had uh, you know little success on that side as well. Um, and again, I had the suspicion that UC's defense was going to be overwhelming for Marshall's offense, and that's basically what happened. Uh, however, I think it was this was a, to a little bit more extreme of an extent than I was expecting. But I think UC are are quietly showing that uh, you know they definitely have the potential to kind of make uh, a decent run at the American. But we'll we'll leave that to to Joe and Joe on the other show. But, uh, yeah, I was really hoping for a better day from Marshall's offense, I guess is what I'm saying in a nutshell. Yeah, you know, once again, I'm just going to kind of take it in a different direction here. Uh, I, I was surprised because it, when we look at what we have at Conference USA as far as what we say is the cream of the crop, right, you would want to say that Marshall is one of those programs that you would think, okay, they're going to go up against a, a maybe a level up in competition against Cincy, but, you know, they should be able to hang. Like you said, neither of us picked them to win, but we thought they'd at least be able to hang. Uh, when you go 4 or 15 on third down to really severely hampering your chances to win, you touched on Desmond Ritter's four touchdowns. Cincy just dominated the time of possession, you know, almost 38 minutes of T.O.P. I mean, you're not going to win very many games when you can't uh, convert on third down and you're leaving your defense on there, out there for that extended period of time. So I guess that was the thing, like you mentioned, just kind of disappointed the result because we would have picked 
Marshall is kind of one of our cream of the crop Conference USA teams, and, and just to get blown out by you know forty points was a little disappointing. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that was kind of my overall point. So they need to kind of fix some things in a hurry. Uh, CUSA East still wide open, so um, certainly have time to kind of figure those out. Well, have uh, maybe not time because they need to get that fixed quickly, but definitely still have a shot to kind of accomplish the overall goal there. Uh, speaking of CUSA East, uh, let's move on to a team that's uh, continuing to uh, struggle when that's Old Dominion. Uh, they lose to East Carolina 24-21 to over the weekend. Really, just a couple of tough breaks for ODU were the difference. Ran out of time there at the end, especially with that late interception. That definitely didn't help. But, um, you know, so that's the negative side of it. But I will say on the positive side, I've been really impressed with Stone Smart the last couple of weeks. I think um, in what we all really thought was going to be a tough year for this program, definitely needed uh, a, a leader. Uh, aside from from Bobby Wilder to kind of keep this this team going, and uh, it seems like Stone's stepping up in that regard. So, and again, had they just kind of pulled it together on a few more plays, this uh, you know would have been a different result. Your takeaway is the exact same takeaway as mine. Uh, for ECU, you know, quarterback Holt Nailers, he's a guy who's kind of inconsistent, still struggling to find his footing. So it wasn't like ODU was facing necessarily a dominant passer. Unfortunately for uh, Monarchs fans, he was able to do just enough to uh, take his team to victory. But my biggest takeaway is Stone Smart, because I think with ODU, that was the major thing heading into the season. They had to find a quarterback, whether it's going to be Messiah DeWeaver, Stone Smart, or Stevie Williams, who now looks to be exclusively as a receiver. Uh, Stone Smart, you know, 203 yards passing, seven to come to the ground. And only, you know, kind of negative takeaway would be the interceptions and the fact that he fumbled the ball three times. I think he only lost one of those, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, just on the positive side, it, it looks to me that they've found a quarterback, and ODU's playing teams tough. So that was also another thing I noted in my article, that they're not going to be an easy win, um, which is just interesting compared to the fact that last year they had, you know, way more talent uh, and went 4-8. and eight. So at least it looks like this team that uh, maybe still would look going to find itself talent-wise uh, as far as stars is still putting up decent fights. So that's a good thing to see from Bobby Wilder's club. For sure. And hopefully they'll kind of take this spirit and continue to uh, to improve over the course of the year, because I think they they really are a better team than I think we were expecting heading into this year. Um, just hopefully they don't show it against Western Kentucky. Uh, but I digress. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, then uh, let's move on to Southern Miss and UTEP. In the words of the late great Denny Green, I think this is another case of they are who they thought who we thought they were. Um, Southern Miss wins that one thirty-one to thirteen. Jack Abraham throws for three hundred fifty-one yards and three touchdowns. Uh, DeMichael Harris arguably had the play of the day with a seventy-four-yard touchdown reception. If you haven't already, go look that up on YouTube or something. It was uh, it was really a sight to see. Um, but uh, again, we've talked about kind of the the power or the uh, the ability of, of Kez Watkins and what he means to this Southern Miss offense before, and um, only had two catches in this game, and I believe he was the leading receiver with like 97 yards. Um, 
So again, this, this Southern Miss offense, uh, it's really something to watch. And I think it's, it's going to get more and more interesting as they play teams with offenses that can kind of compete, especially within the conference. Um, but on the UTEP side too, uh, Kyle Oxley, pretty decent day for him. Clearly a lot of improvement happening on that team. Um, just unfortunate that it's not really, uh, you know, translating to wins, but that's, uh, that's kind of what I took away from this game. Yeah, I'm not going to harp on UTEP too much because we kind of know what their situation is. Just going to make two points here with Southern Miss. One, you know, I, I kind of felt bad for being so repetitive last year into the early part of this year as far as talking about Quez Watkins. But I think his presence, especially coming off the two-game uh, situation where he wasn't able to play the early part of the year, you're really seeing his impact and the level that he can take this offense to by being on the field. The second part of this one is kind of a question for you, Joe. Uh, one of the guys who I think I got the most flack when I did my uh, top 50 players in Conference USA series, the guys I got the most flack for leaving off was Jack Abraham. I just didn't see it last year. You know, I, I liked his numbers and the fact that he completed a high percentage of his passes. I think he completed 68, 69% of his balls. But um, I, I didn't see it in relation to the Jamar Smith, James Morgans, Mason Fines of the world. Just want to ask you this question, Joe. Uh, where does Jack Abraham kind of fall into the, the hierarchy of conference USA quarterbacks for you right now? I definitely think right now um, he's definitely in the top, top tier. I would say in the top three or four uh, personally, I think, you know, I think it's easy to forget uh, his success earlier in his career at Southern Miss due to the, the injuries. And that's kind of why we saw a lot of like Tate Watley last year. Um, if I remember correctly. So, you know, I think in your defense, I think it was easier. It's easy to, uh, you know, not remember him, especially over the course of this past off season, because we just didn't get to see him too much. Um, but based on what we're seeing in this early part of the year, I really think he's one of the better quarterbacks in this league. And, you know, I would put him probably up there with, uh, Mason Fine and Chris Robinson as like the top three in the league right now. Yeah, I mean, I can't disagree with you. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, the guy I get to see on, on a more consistent basis is James Morgan, and James had an excellent game against La Tech, but, you know, he's still kind of coming off some injuries and had a rough start to the year. So I, I can't, you know, push back on that that top three you gave right there. All right. Uh, I'm sure you'll push back on some other things I have to say over the course of the show, but um, we'll, uh, we'll keep moving then with uh, Western and UAB. The Hilltoppers pulling off a surprise win there, 20-13 to 13 at home. First start as a Hilltopper for Ty Story. Really solid game for him with 189 yards through the air and two touchdowns. Um, if you're UAB and you're getting Spencer Brown 21 touches like they did in this game, and he's only getting 70 yards on the ground, that's a problem. And I think part of it definitely has to do with – it's. I think it's a combination of, A, Western's defensive line is very, very good, but, B, this is becoming a consistent issue, so you have to think there's there's got to be something that needs to be fixed along this UAB offensive line if you have a, a running back that is as good as Spencer Brown has shown himself to be. And he's just not producing. So I think that's something that they kind of need to take a look at uh, before it gets too late in the year here. Um, but go, circling back to that Western Kentucky defensive line, uh, D'Angelo Malone and uh, and Jeremy Darvin in particular, 
they're playing so well right now, and I think that's one of the more uh, underrated storylines of the young season so far because uh, they're they're crushing it. And I, I think just part of the reason they're getting uh, written off early is because of that loss to, to Central Arkansas. But, you know, in the scheme of this, in the grand scheme of things, I guess, they are one of the more underrated uh, parts of this league right now. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I got to go ahead and shout out my guy, Elliot Pratt, from the uh, Bowling Green Daily News. I had a chance to talk to him in the press box at the uh, FIU Western Kentucky game, and that exact unit is the one that he mentioned that would make the difference for this team if they were going to have any level of success. So, you know, shout out to all of those guys. Um, I saw them firsthand, Juwan Jones, D'Angelo Malone, that entire defensive line in front seven, uh, just making plays. For UAB, I'm just glad you mentioned that, Joe, because we kind of beat around the bush about it earlier in earlier weeks. But the fact of the matter is you're right. It's becoming a trend, and it's something I noted even from its freshman year to last year to now this year, just his yards per carry, which aren't the be-all, end-all in terms of a running back. Because obviously, you know, if you do the math, you can have one 80-yard carry and 17 one-yard carries, and, and, you know, you have the numbers might look a certain way. But – it's it's trending in the wrong direction for UAB offense. And I mean, we can't discount the fact that Tyler Johnson did not have his base game at all by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, that's something that if you're a UAB fan, I think you just have to, you have to take note of because it goes into the way your team is built. You know, um, they're going to play strong defense. They're going to look to run the ball and Tyler Johnson has to be able to make the plays when they're there on the flip side. Once again, you know, I, I certainly didn't have Western Kentucky win this game, and I'm guilty of being one of the people who wrote Western Kentucky off because of that ugly loss to Central Arkansas and the fact that it was the second straight loss on FCS team. But guess who's in first place in the East? <laughs> it's the tops. So credit to them. Yeah, that's definitely something I did not think we'd be talking about after that Central Arkansas loss either. But here we are. So uh, could be could be an interesting year for uh, Tyson Selton team and a uh, a more interesting result than we all kind of anticipated. I think uh, I say interesting way too much. Moving on, uh, Louisiana Tech twenty three Rice twenty is the next game we should talk about. Easily Rice's best game of the year, in my opinion. Uh, it really just took Jamar Smith uh, taking over in OT to win the game for Tech. Uh, Rice still the best winless team in the country, which I don't feel like will sell many t-shirts, <laughs> but, uh, definitely continuing to show progress, uh, under Mike Bloomgren. So I think the win is just, the wins are just going to come in time for that program. Uh, but on the tech side, obviously kind of a, a frustrating day for, for that defense in particular, uh, offense definitely had more opportunities to score in this early part of the game. Uh, but I think you got to be happy that you have someone like Jamar Smith who really just kind of like, he, he really just took over in those last couple of minutes and, uh, his team definitely needed him to do that. It's interesting. You and I kind of see this one a little bit differently, not going to push back on the fact that Jamar Smith took over in overtime, but I think it kind of goes to the, the, uh, the whole, you know, theme of Jamar Smith's entire career, which is he kind of want that consistency for four quarters and overtime as opposed to just overtime. As far as Tech goes, yeah, they gave a bunch of rushing yards, and that uh, is frustrating. But also, you know, Mike Bloomgren's club has kind of made a dedicated effort to play a certain way, which is be physical up front and run the football. But I actually thought that Tech's defense, specifically the secondary, is really what saved him. Because if Rice can muster any sort of a passing game, and you have Weiler Green coming off an injury, 
Uh, I think they win this one, you know, not want to harp on the fact that they're missing Aaron Cephas again. I, it doesn't look like that train is pulling to the station uh, anytime soon or even uh, at all, for that matter. It looks like his career on Rice might be done. But I, I just think if Tech doesn't have two excellent defensive backs and Amik Roberts and Algerius Sneed, uh, I think Rice is able to get out of there with a win. Uh, so I, I think I'll just push back on the defense a little bit there. But all in all, you know, hey, uh, I, I'll buy one of those Rice T-shirts that says we're the best five team in uh, in America because they they're moving in the right direction. <laughs> Good to know they'll have uh, at least one purchaser. But that's a solid point. Louisiana Tech's secondary definitely didn't didn't play all that bad. I guess you just have to look at the performance of like Aston Walter, who uh, really had a, a solid game last week, um, and he's been really with uh, 293 yards on 76 carries, like not not too bad of a and a you know hasn't played too bad for for Rice in that spot for them. So definitely something to hang their head on for uh, that rushing attack and that offensive line getting him to where he is so far. Um, we'll stay in the state of Texas for this next one then with uh, Houston and UNT. Cougars win that one, forty six to twenty five. Personally, I was really underwhelmed by uh, the North Texas defense in this one. Allowed uh, 359 yards by Houston. Uh, Got to be frustrated with that. Um, but at the same time, you look at that 21-point difference, and you can point to where those 21 points came from in three plays. Uh, the 68-yard touchdown run by Patrick Carr, the 82-yard kickoff return that uh, the Cougars took for a touchdown, and the 60-yard punt return for a touchdown. So there's a few special teams mishaps and just allowing one too many uh, big plays to set Houston up for points. So if you're uh, if you're North Texas, you got to be happy this wasn't a conference game because it doesn't affect your your title hopes too much. Uh, but really thought they were going to perform better on a you know on this stage in front of one of uh, what's quickly becoming one of the the better programs in Texas. Yeah, I completely agree with you in the sense that they are, you know, should be counting their, their, you know, whatever the, the, the phrase is, counting their, their blessings that it, this wasn't a conference game because of the fact that what's really hurting North Texas isn't, you know, the consistency. We know that Mason Fine is going to be there, but it's the things that you just mentioned, giving up those big plays, you know, you just can't, uh, they have to be able to get those things fixed as they head into conference play. Give all the credit to Houston because they were coming off of a debacle of a week that, you know, I'm sure you can hear about, A, on, on Joe Talk and anywhere else for that matter. But once again, if you're North Texas, you can't have these things, you know, kind of rear their head as you head into conference play. And I think the thing that's been most surprising to me, and I, and I, I probably need to do my own due diligence and uh, read more Brett Vito's columns down there in the, in the uh, Denton newspaper who covers North Texas, is the running game has been – a kind of a weird situation. DeAndre Torrey is taking a step back. It looks like Trey Siggers is the number one back there. And they're just not having the success that they had last year. And that was one of the things that really impressed me for uh, to pick North Texas to have such a good year heading into this year was that they'd be balanced. You know, wouldn't just rely on Mason Fine. So if they can't get that going into conference play, that's something that uh, is going to leave the West wide open for a team like Southern Miss or La Tech to maybe make a statement and uh, jump ahead of them. Yeah, Mason Fine definitely is going to be the uh, the difference maker for this team. And I mean, to his credit, he played fairly well in this game. Just needed uh, you know a few more stops uh, for his team to to be in position to win. So we'll see if that happens for for Seth Latrell's squad. 
And uh, now at this point in the show, uh, going to talk about something that doesn't directly or immediately affect CUSA football, but uh, could be the start of a domino effect that uh, eventually does. Um, if you're in tune with the college sports world, then uh, you probably know we're talking about the uh, Fair Pay to Play Act that uh, just got passed in the state of California. And in a nutshell, this, uh, this act that just got passed by the state legislature makes it illegal for schools in California to revoke athletic scholarships for taking money. And uh, so college athletes can, uh, can have agents also. So in a sense, college athletes can now make money from endorsements and from their image slash likeness, which obviously uh, very big news in college athletics in general, big departure from this model that the NCAA has been operating on for about a century now. Um, and uh, just some additional information slash context for this. This could be uh, challenged by the court still, and uh, the court could say that organizations like the NCAA, uh, i.e. voluntary organizations, uh, schools don't technically have to be part of the NCAA, uh, student-athletes don't technically have to attend schools that are part of the NCAA, um, they could still make the case that uh, they can make their own rules and, uh, you know, don't have to abide by, you know, this state rule because they're a voluntary organization. That That's still a possibility. Um, but, you know, seeing as this obviously is going to have pretty big ramifications for college sports in general moving forward, uh, Eric, and you and I are obviously kind of academics when it comes to the business of sports and how college sports are, are governed and all that. So I feel like you and I could do a separate, very long conversation about this. But um, I guess for the sake of keeping the podcast to a, a reasonable length, uh, would love to kind of know your thoughts on on this, what this immediately means for for college football, and and what it could mean moving forward. Yeah, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head right there. Both of us could do an extended podcast on this, so I'm just going to give you my my quick takeaways, and they aren't even limited necessarily to college football. I just kind of want you know to make a couple quick points so that you know anyone who hasn't gone through and read the bill or uh, is as nuanced as maybe, you know, others can just kind of take away, right? What this essentially boils down to is college athletes essentially having the ability to profit off of their own likeness, right? And I just want to give a couple examples, right? So uh, when I was in college, uh, I, I transferred, uh, made a couple stops uh, through my collegiate career. But at one stop, I was chosen as one of those people to do like the little promotional deal where like, hey, our school, you know, has... Uh, this and that and this and the other and I was chosen as one of the people to go in their brochures and on billboards and such and such right and guess what like they compensated not much but I, I was given a little bit of you know money for my likeness uh, it, that wasn't a requirement but the the school said hey you know we're gonna put you on this and along with me and a couple of the people they threw us like a couple dollars less than a hundred um, that's something that student athletes right now don't have the ability to do uh, two um, this isn't even just what, like I said, a college football issue. I think it's in terms of college sports. And I want to give an example. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with her, Joe, but there was a UCLA gymnast, uh, Caitlin Ohashi, uh, who her, you know, routine went viral and blew up to the point where she, you know, got all this recognition on Instagram and, and YouTube and ESPN and such and such. But she wasn't able to profit off of any of that, right? Now, I know I'm giving you the, the outlier, the exception and not the rule in that, 
um, the, the average college gymnast is not going to blow up, but let's just use her for the sake of the argument. With this rule being in effect, she would there and lie and be able to profit off of her own likeness. It's just as simple as that. It's not talking about paying a college gymnast. You know, for those of you who will say, oh, college gymnasts don't bring any money, that might be fair, but it was just saying that this one person has that ability. And to kind of, you know, tie it all around to be my final two points here, it, it, we're talking about, you know, college athletes having the ability to uh, sign a, an autograph and get paid for it, right? I, I think, remember, um, if my memory serves me correct, I'm, I'm, I hope I don't screw this up. I remember the Ohio State quarterback Terrell Pryor had gotten in trouble for signing some autographs in exchange for, like, tattoos and some of that effect. Uh, we all know uh, Johnny Manziel back in the day had, had had some issues as far as his signature and things of that nature. That just seems like common sense. And the final thing I'll use to make my point is this. You know, when I was back covering the UCF game a couple weeks ago, uh, I saw nothing but number 10 jerseys all over the place, right? Now, for those of you who don't follow UCF or the American, number 10 is Mackenzie Milton. Uh, we can't hide the fact that number 10 is Mackenzie Milton, despite the fact that we don't put his name on the back of the jersey. And I bring him up as to say he's someone who suffered a devastating knee injury uh, almost not even a year ago. And his football future in, in general is in doubt. Now, whether or not he had legitimate pro um, prospects, that's up for debate. I, I'm not one I, I want to necessarily have. But you have someone who it became this huge rallying cry for this university of 66,000 people, and tons of people are buying his number 10 jersey. And you know who doesn't see any money of that? The guy who has his knee in some gigantic contraption and is coaching on the sideline, who was once uh, one of college football's best players and now is limited to, you know, recovering. So I, I just think when you put this thing in, in perspective, I don't see how very many people can look at this as, you know, the potential downfall of amateurism in college sports. That's just my uh, long-winded POV. Sure. And uh, by the way, nice little humble brag for basically being a male model, but go off anyway. Um, but, uh, I, I, will, I won't really dispute too much of, of what you said there. I will just kind of say that you know, there's there's some arguments being made that like, yeah, this is the downfall of amateur sports or, or whatever. Uh, basically saying it's going to create an unfair competitive advantage for, uh, you know, programs that can operate in states where this is legal and for programs that have more money, right? Here's the issue I have with that. I have a really hard time believing that, A, the best athletes weren't already going to schools with the most resources anyway and b i have a hard time believing that like you know this rule you know this this only applies to schools in california for right now right i have a hard time believing that like you know the best athletes in florida texas ohio wherever are all gonna immediately start flocking to california just because of of this right so I think that argument is kind of flawed in a way. Um, but I do think eventually, like, the federal government is going to have to get involved at some point, uh, whether you know, in just, like, creating some kind of, like, you know, as this spreads to more and more states, there's going to have to be some kind of, like, standard set up. Uh, because, you know, really what the main issue that I think this presents in in my mind is – things like like fake endorsement deals right like or maybe not fake but like 
sham endorsement deals where like, I don't know, for the sake of, I don't know, let's, let's just say USC for the sake of this conversation. Uh, they can probably get a booster to come in and be like, you know, you contribute, you know, X amount of dollars, make this athlete like a, a quote unquote spokesman or whatever. And then that's, that's a pretty nice little recruiting incentive, right? Like that could happen again. I don't think it's going to affect the competitive balance or whatever too much, but it does kind of create a, a situation where, you know, a kids could potentially get like taken advantage of by boosters uh, but overall, so overall, I think there's just going to be some kinks to iron out with it, but long-term, I think this is, this is definitely going to have a positive impact on college athletics and amateur athletics as a whole. I think it's kind of crazy that it took this long for college sports to get to a point where they're basically doing what, like, you know, what the Olympics is doing already. Right. So yeah. And frankly, they haven't really had too many issues with that as far as quote unquote amateurism if someone wants to put their face on a box of cereal or whatever. So again, I think this is a really I think this is a positive step for college athletics as a whole. I don't think it's gonna affect the competitive balance of stuff as much as uh people say it's going to. Um or some people want to believe it's going to. Uh but I do think this is going to create some some interesting situations that we're gonna have to be ready to deal with. Um, you know, just as far as like you know, the, the addition of agents being a part of it is tricky, right? I think that's what's going to create the most issues in the short-term future. So hopefully, you know, this, this awkward phase of getting this to be a, a nationwide thing is, is A, short, and B, without too much incident. I don't think it's going to make a difference because, like what you said, Joe, the best athletes are already going to, you know, those type of power five schools as is um all of the little things that you mentioned as far as agents and and all those other minor things those are things that will get worked out you know nothing is this is far from a finished product those are all things that will get worked out but i just think in the long run especially if you're i I guess i can't see if you're someone who isn't a proponent of paying athletes you know giving having a, a, a standard just across the board paying athletes how you couldn't see that, all right, let's allow them to make money off of their own likeness. And this way, it's only going to affect, you know, a certain amount of, of athletes in this regard. I just can't see how you would be opposed to that unless you're just wholly opposed to college athletes getting any type of revenue at all, in which case that's a whole other issue. So uh, no pushback from here, from, from me here. Yeah, it, uh, it'll be an interesting saga that uh, has been set in motion here with the uh, the passage of this act. So, uh, definitely recommend kind of doing some independent reading on your own, dear listeners, uh, kind of coming to your own conclusions about it. But I think Eric and I are kind of in the same boat in that it, it, this is probably a good thing and a long time coming for college sports, but it's, it's definitely not going to be without its, its share of, uh, of weirdness as, uh, I can so intelligently put it. I like how I'm saying we're academics and then I'm having a hard time coming up with a weird, more eloquent than weirdness. So, yeah, weird. Oh well. Hey, hey, Joe. Both of us have master's degrees, and we still manage to be productive members of society. All right, so uh, you know, just, 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 just shake it off. It's true. It is two o'clock. It's four o'clock on a Tuesday, and I'm working in sweatpants. So I'm pretty happy with where my education's got me. So, oh well. Um, with that, then we'll start wrapping up the show with some picks for next week. 
Um, could be an interesting slate of games as conference plays pretty much in full swing here. Uh, we'll open it up with Marshall coming to Murfreesboro to play in Middle Tennessee at uh, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time on CBS Sports Network. Heard are favored by three and a half as of this recording. Um, like we talked about at the top of the show, I think this is going to be a really interesting test for for both teams. You know, we've seen Middle Tennessee play uh, fairly well against some big opponents uh, short of that Iowa game this past weekend. Uh, Marshall really thought we were going to see, uh, you know, some more fight from them against Cincinnati last week, but uh, overall still one of the uh, potential dark horses for CUSA East. I'm going to go with the herd as I think, you know, I, I just think that I still believe that they're a potential CUSA East winner. I think uh, Brendan Knox can definitely open it up for him if their offensive line plays well, which there's no, there's no real reason to think that they aren't. And, and the other thing is middle Tennessee's uh, front seven are not, Cincinnati's front seven so I think they'll have significantly more success against uh against those those teams um I, this could be a relatively high scoring affair though because I'm not that impressed with Marshall's defense either yeah you know I'm going to kind of simplify this one for me I, I think it's going to come down to the battle of the quarterbacks you know Isaiah Green is a guy who we've talked about ad nauseum on this podcast can he you know make that next step and, 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 uh, you know, kind of make that ascension to the upper echelon of conference with their quarterbacks. What's going to be with that is going to be consistency. Uh, it's got to look like a guy like he was earlier in the season. As for Asher O'Hara, can he, you know, now that he's out of the roughest stretch of, of the schedule, he's come out healthy and unscathed. And I think he's clearly established himself as the number one quarterback on that team. Can he, you know, develop as a passer and make enough plays to help his team win? Overall, I'm a little bit torn. There's part of me that wants to take middle, but I'm going to take Marshall because I, I think uh, – and we're also dealing with two of the best coached teams in Conference USA between Doc Holliday and Rick Stockdale. You know they're going to be two well-coached teams. And in the end, I just think Doc Holliday's team has a little bit more firepower, uh, looking for some of the guys like, you know, um, Furman Silva and Mar- Marquise Kyle should kind of maybe pressure Asher O'Hara, uh, did a couple of mistakes, but I think Marshall gets victory. No argument here. We'll keep it rolling then with uh, Old Dominion hosting Western Kentucky on ESPN Plus, 6 p.m. Eastern. Um, tops are favored by three and a half. I think that's a pretty safe bet. Uh, taking the tops because basically if that defense keeps playing the way it has, then I think it's going to be a long day for Stone Smart and his receiver core. Um, and I, you know, I feel like it's going to be a tough day for their running back too. I mean, Western's run defense has been really, really solid each of the last three or four weeks. Um, and then Ty Story, I mean, I feel like he's kind of what they need right now um, in the leadership category. I feel like they definitely feel a little bit better if he was a stronger runner because, you know, pass blocking continues to be somewhat of an issue for them. Uh, but I feel pretty good about where Western is at this moment, um, and uh, I'm picking them to beat Old Dominion. I'm going to go ahead and make the leap and go all in on Western here, right? You know, <laughs> I'm laughing because Western has a chance to be 3-0 and in conference, and none of us saw that coming at the beginning of the year. Uh, I No pushback on any of the points you make. I think it comes down to the playoff tie story, who uh, kind of surprised me. You know, he was very consistent last week. And I also think that they can get Gage Walker going. 
you know, there, there's no reason to think that they can't control the clock and kind of keep ODU off the field. Stone Smart is still a young quarterback. You know, I think that defense can force them to a couple of mistakes. I think Weston will walk out here with a victory. Pretty safe bet indeed. Uh, UAB hosting Rice at 7 Eastern, ESPN+. Plus. Uh, I'm taking the Blazers here. They're favored by eight and a half as of now. Um, yeah, like we mentioned, UAB definitely has some issues to work out along that offensive line. Uh, but I have to imagine Tyler Johnson uh, not going to repeat the day he had against Western Kentucky. Um, could be a fairly close game, uh, obviously evidenced by that line. Uh, Rice continues to improve. Um, but like you mentioned, when we talked about their game, just really struggling to find a, uh, a solid passing game. So, um, yeah, I feel like the, uh, the Blazers are a pretty safe pick here. I'm going with UAB to win. I do agree that it could be a close game just because styles make fights and, and kind of use the old boxing analogy there. And you have two teams where they look to run the football and kind of establish you know, who can win the line of scrimmage, who can establish themselves up front and, uh, make enough plays to win. I just think, like you mentioned, uh, Tyler Johnson, despite the fact that he had a rough game last week, is a much more potent passer and kind of has those weapons around him. Guys like Kendall Parham and Austin Watkins. Just want to see if they can get Spencer Brown going. And I have him a game where he gets 150 yards and it's not, you know, on 35 carries. Uh, that would be something to kind of pay attention to. But I have Rice winning. Excuse me. I have UAB winning that one at home. All right, in agreement on that one then. Uh, on ESPN3, we got FIU hosting UMass at uh, Severn Eastern. Uh, FIU favored by 26 and a half. Um, I don't know that it'll be that uh, that much of a blowout, but I do think FIU is going to win this one. Um, I think this comes at a, a really important time for them, uh, obviously trying to get some confidence going before they uh, get back in a conference play. Uh because, you know, as we've mentioned a few times here, uh, FIU not really on the on the track that they should be at this point in the year. Yeah, I will be there at Ricardo Silva Stadium at 7 o'clock. And you know, things I'll just be looking for from the Panthers, this is going to be their really their best opportunity to put a 2018-type game together. You know, they're entering a pivotal stretch. They have four out of the next five at home, uh, five out of the next six. They do not leave South Florida. It's just going to be key to see if they can just put it all together if they're going to have any chance of repeating the last year's success and making a bowl game, it's going to come down to this stretch. For UMass, you know, Walt Bell's in, is in his first year, kind of putting his own stamp on that program. You know, had to suspend their starting quarterback, Randall West, because he missed curfew last week. So let's see what their situation is. Actually might get a look at a guy who played against FIU in last year's game, Michael Curtis. Uh, I think was the leading passer in that game at FIU won 63 to 25. My memory serves me correct, but overall, yeah, just for FIU, this should be their opportunity to put that 2018 type game together. James Morgan, get some confidence, get the offense as a whole, some confidence and just keep the ball moving and, and just really uh, just dominate a team like they were able to in 2018. So I have FIU winning soundly. Have you gotten to watch uh, Morgan practice or anything since, uh, we last spoke because I believe last time we spoke, he was kind of still dealing with uh, some issues in that, in that leg that he injured, but uh, how has he kind of looked mobility wise and then stepping into throws and all that? James has looked fine. I mean, uh, when you go back from when we last spoke, I have seen him practice and it looks like his mobility is just improving little by little. Now, of course, James isn't the most mobile guy to begin with, even though he'll probably push back on me. It's been a running joke between James, myself, and uh, old GA, who's now the offensive line coach, 
uh, at, um, I'm forgetting the name of the school right now, but uh, there was a running joke that James couldn't move, and uh, James took that scamper to the end zone. So clearly his mobility is, uh, is better than we think. But no, just back to your point, he, he looks a lot better, and especially for a guy like him who wants to step into his throws and push it downfield, it's really key that he has his legs underneath him. So he has improved uh, since the injury. Gotcha. We'll end things here with uh, UTEP and UTSA at 8 p.m. Eastern, ESPN+. Plus. El Paso is the destination of that game. UTEP is actually favored by one and a half heading into this one. Uh, that kind of shows you the state of uh, people's confidence in UTSA football here. Um, this is going to be a really, really interesting game. Um I, I'm I'm gonna go with my gut and say UTSA. I don't think they've been pl- obviously they haven't been playing very well, but um, I, I have to believe that they're gonna be able to pull it together for uh, for a road win here against UTEP. Um, and while the miners have steadily been improving, I you know I, I just have a hard time believing that uh, you know based on everything uh, that's happened with these two programs in the last couple of years that uh, UTSA is gonna lose this game. Okay, so I'm going to try to sum this one up pretty succinctly here. I think for UTEP, this is their chance to get that win, right? You know, I mean, a second win, a win in conference is what I mean. And I'm going to go ahead and do them. I just think that UTSA is just in somewhat of a state of flux right now. And just because UTSA is the more talented team doesn't mean that they can't be beat on any given Saturday. And I think this is the game where, you know, Kyle Loxley and and Brandon Jones are going to be able to kind of split the reps and have some success against a a UTSA defense that's still looking to find their way despite having a guy like Cassius Brady. I think UTEP wins a very close and by a field goal, but I'm going to choose UTEP to get that conference victory. This might be the most excited I've been for a game between two one and three teams in quite a while, Eric. I'm just letting you know. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I'm hoping that the Panthers won't be one and three or, or one and four following this one. Uh, so I, I can't match you there, but I, I'm pretty excited for uh, this one as well. <laughs> nice. Uh, so plenty of good games for you to watch there over the weekend. Uh, hope you enjoy it. Uh, hope you enjoyed listening to our little program here. Uh, if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe on iTunes and Google Play. You can check us out on Spotify as well. Uh, leave us a review. Give us some constructive criticism. That helps us grow as well. Um, and uh, with that, we'll say once again, happy football watching. Follow us on Twitter at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore for me, at Eric C. Henry underscore for Eric, at Underdog Dynasty. Uh, like him on Facebook as well. Check out the site every day for more good stuff. And uh, yeah, if I didn't say happy football watching already, I'll say it again. Happy football watching. Happy football watching.